Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher even if they don't. Today is October the 2nd, 2019. This is episode 2522 of the Survival Podcast. And i got a great one for you today. We're going to have an interview with a couple. They are named Brian and Sherry Hammonds. They are part of a project called the Serenity Bus Project. What these guys are doing is they're pretty close to done now with the conversion. They've been living in a school bus for a while. They sold everything that they had. They couldn't take with them in their bus anyway. And they bought this huge bus, like a huge old school bus, and converted it into a tiny house on wheels. And they're about to begin an epic adventure traveling across the country for at least a year. Uh, and they're homeschooling their four kids in this bus. There's six people in this bus. Uh, they've, like I said, they've been living there for a while, but they haven't actually embarked yet on their full journey. Uh, they're going to be uh, pairing where they go with their kids' education. So if they're going to learn about the Civil War, well, let's go to Vicksburg, stuff like that. Uh, this is a fantastic interview. I, I know that a lot of times I do these intro segments, I haven't done the interview yet, and then uh, I haven't prepared. I actually, because of the way things went today, had to uh, to interview and then do the intro segment. So I already know you're going to love this interview. We cover a lot of stuff. Uh, I would say this, this show is about half about converting school buses into living quarters and about half about homeschooling, but it's not like divided in half. It like goes back and forth. And I really enjoyed talking to them. And they, they suggested that maybe they come back on the show uh, once they've been on the road for about six months. And my response was this. I want you to do that. Make sure you fill out the form because Dorothy takes care of this stuff. And if you email me, it won't happen, right? So, I mean, that's how good it was. My response was, please make sure you put it on your calendar and you remember to do that. We want you back on the air. So I think you'll really enjoy this interview. We'll get to it in just a few moments. Before we talk about that, let's go ahead and remind you of our two sponsors of the day that help make sure that this show is available for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Number one is Ridge Wallet. I love the Ridge Wallet. I carry the Ridge Wallet. I use the Ridge Wallet. All my stuff's in the Ridge Wallet. Today we're going to be talking a lot about minimalism. Ridge Wallet is one of the ways I've moved more toward minimalism in my life. It protects me from identity theft. Everything I need in my wallet is always right there. I carry it in my front versus back, my back pocket. It would be a lot harder, I think, to pickpocket me now. Uh, and again, it protects from identity theft. It, it's just an awesome wallet. And I get comments all the time, oh, that's the Ridge Wallet. I, when they asked about being a sponsor, I didn't realize how well-known they were across the country. Check them out today at RidgeWallet.com. Uh, next up, JM Bullion. JM Bullion is the source that I use to get my silver and gold. Now, you guys know that I'm a big fan of silver and gold as part of your wealth assurance program. Uh, I keep about 5% of my net wealth in silver and gold. And when I need to buy some more, I always go to Jam Bullion. And want me to tell you why. Number one, they have better pricing than the bigger silver houses like Monix and Atmex. So I pay less for the same silver. I, I, I don't, do I have to go on? Isn't that enough? How about free shipping? Okay, how about they've sponsored my show for eight years? Okay, how about they give a discount to MSB members that support this show, which includes me? So you get a discount on silver, better pricing, free shipping, and they support the show you love. The question I'd have is, why would you get your silver or gold from anybody else other than JM Bullion? Remember, again, JM Bullion and Ridge Wallet both do discounts for members of the MSB. 
So consider that when you're considering whether you want to become a paying member of the Support Brigade. Uh, it is a membership that does pay for itself. With that, let's go ahead and get our special guests on the air here. Again, their names are Brian and Sherry Hammonds. They are part of the Serenity Bus Project, an adventure being taken by a family of six uh, with a converted 40-foot school bus into a tiny home on wheels. With that, hey, Brian and Sherry, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank Hello. you so much. Hey, I got two on, so we're going to have to do a, a double intro here. Um, without plowing into the topic of living in a school bus, just so the audience gets to know you, and I'll let you decide what order you want to go on, on introducing yourselves this way. Take us back to, like, I don't know, high school, space it out in study hall as a senior and trying to figure out what to do with your life and how you ended up doing whatever it is that you <laughs> did professionally and ended up where you are. Uh, the third, you know, the elevator explanation of who you are. Right, right, right. Uh, so I don't, I know, going all the way back, um, I was at a university here in Cleveland, Tennessee, and had so much fun. They asked me not to come back for a year. Uh, I went to a different school in Virginia and met my wife and convinced her and her father to let her come back to my previous university in Tennessee. And we met and uh, got married, had four children, and um, just I, I think I've always been kind of a gypsy uh, and always had uh, kind of wild ideas on how to how to do life, um, but at some point just got tired of living hand to mouth and decided to to get a little extreme about how we um, how we define our American dream, I guess. And the school bus idea arose. My wife was supportive, and here we are. Uh, anything you want to add to that? <laughs> no, I think. For us, homeschooling played a part in it um, as well. Um, I was actually ended up a public school teacher for a while, and when my kids were old enough to go into school, into the public school system, I just realized it wasn't going to be a good fit for them. Um, I mean, it's a great choice for a lot of families, but for us, um, it, I just felt like it wasn't going to be the best fit for them. So we ended up homeschooling, and I switched to teaching online instead of going into what they call brick-and-mortar school teaching. And so this was kind of just a natural, kind of the natural next step. So instead of homeschooling, we're now road schooling. Hmm. Um, it gives the kids a chance to experience other cultures, other places, other geography, um, you know, just hands-on learning, you know, as opposed to sitting in a classroom or in the four walls of your home. Um, so that was just kind of the natural progression for me. It seems like everything we've done in life has kind of built us up to this in a way, you know. I, it's it's been bizarre and awesome to see how everything's unfolded, and you know, in, in the, you know, for this type of project that we're doing. So let's talk a little bit about the school bus here. Then the uh, the on the road lifestyle that's something a lot of people do. There are these things called RVs that a lot of people use. <laughs> uh, you are not the per first people who have converted a school bus. What no, made you not. choose a school bus? Was was like, did you guys get inspired by somebody else that did this? Was it just kind of an idea, like, hey, let's see if we can do this? Was there a financial reason, like, do you get more by doing? Like, what made you choose an old school bus uh, to avoid school? <laughs> I think 
there's a couple different um, reasons. Yeah, I mean, as sure. far as inspiration. For sure. We, yeah, and, and we love this question because we, we wrote an entire article on why to choose a school bus over an RV. So just to tackle this, uh, your, one of your questions was who inspired us. We saw a... Um, we saw a documentary on Netflix. A lot of people have seen it. Uh, Expedition Happiness. A German couple comes over, converts a school bus, travels on work or on uh, travel visas through the U.S. and Canada, a little bit of Mexico, over the course of a year, and, and just uh, it looks amazing. So it, it gave us the idea to, to start looking into uh, this concept. Uh, the 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 school bus, as opposed to an RV, uh, that just that came by result of uh, research. You know, these have uh, these school buses have medium duty commercial engines in them, good for 500, 600,000 miles, depending on how you take care of them and what brand you buy. Uh, the bus is overbuilt because it hauls your children, our children around uh, all day long. I mean, if you looked at the way this bus is constructed with I beams, it's unreal or google images of what happens when a bus rolls over it's nothing versus uh, an rv, versus an RV <laughs> which is okay. even when you purchase the ones with the granite countertops they're still built like mobile homes and they're not designed to go hundreds of thousands of miles without without structural issues uh the bus is will last almost forever and if you're going to rv it when you're done run it till the engine blows and and sit out, out in the field and airbnb it for additional income it just it's, it's one of those things that you know it being galvanized it, it could literally say you know serve some function forever uh you know at least our lifetimes and so it just seemed hauling our children around it's longevity if we're going to put you know fifty thousand dollars into converting a bus we get to do it ourselves it's a blank canvas and it'll last much 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 longer be much much more durable so it just it, it made it an easy decision for us very cool so when you do this like because you guys went all in right like you didn't like <laughs> like yeah, we're just going to rent the house to somebody else and let them take care of all our crap for us. Like, you guys went all in, like, we're doing this, and we're right. going to invest ourselves of a lot of our earthly treasures. Was, was it difficult purging most of your belongings and adopting what, you know, has to be a minimalist lifestyle? How, first of all, how many kids do you have? Four. Four. four or six people living in a bus. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's way different than me doing it myself as a young renegade. You know, it was right. something I thought about doing where it's like a bachelor, right? So you've right. got to be minimalist here. Was that difficult adopting that? And how much was, like, how old were the kids when you made this decision? And how much child resistance was? It's one thing that adults are like, we're doing this. Kids are like, right. uh, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. These are all great questions. Uh, they So um, the, the difficulty factor was extreme um, for some and a little easier for others. Uh, the kids are six. The kids adapted. They well. did. Yeah, sixteen is my old. My I have a sixteen-year-old daughter, fourteen-year-old son, a nine-year-old son, and a seven-year-old daughter. Good job. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and they they all embraced it pretty well. I mean, they're already homeschooled, so you know it, it's not like we're switching schools on them mid-year or anything like that. Um, so I think the heartache came mostly uh, in letting our stuff go with Sherry and I, and Sherry uh, more so than myself, because, I mean, you, you, you kind of uh, you put value in some of the things you own. She had the piano she learned to play 
piano on and she's yeah. a quite quite an accomplished uh, pianist and having to let things like that go i had a record collection i had to purge and we had antiques and heirlooms we gave back or let go of and getting down to one percent of our belongings there were there were tears although in all fairness we do have some stuff stored at his parents garage That's and, true. and shed so it's, but it was a, it was dramatic but our furniture is gone oh yeah I, we, we went down i would say we're we're under five percent. I've been saying one percent of our belongings. It may it's it's something probably more like under five percent of our belongings, but that's still a dramatic purge process. Um, I will say though that even after the tears were gone, I think we could look at each other right now and say if somebody offered us any of those things back, we would decline. There's a lot of freedom when you're no longer a slave to your belongings, and you don't see it that way. Well, you still have them. Awesome, man. So. Is there kind of like uh, a community here, like a niche community? Like I think what I have in your notes here is like schoolie owners, and that kind of also puts you in like the tiny house people world, except your tiny house has wheels and an engine instead of a trailer, which, by the way, I think if you're going to live in a tiny house, if the house is drivable, I think it makes a hell of a lot more sense than towing something that's probably going to end up getting you killed. Uh, so right. kudos on that choice. Um <laughs> But is there, like, what's it like being part of those communities? I'm sure there's got to be kind of a tight-knitness to it. It's very tight. Yeah. It is tight-knit, but honestly, when we started the process, we knew no one that was actually doing this. And we didn't say, know how, com how, how tight the, knit the community was. We've learned that right. through the process. It wasn't a decision-making uh, variable. Um, we kind of discovered along the way that it, this is a really close community and the support has been awesome and we love being a part of it, but that's been a pleasant surprise. Um, it started when we had a, we have a really, uh, solid, um, high end home, tiny home builder here in our area and they said, Hey, bring your bus outs to our place and paint it right on our property. Uh, what, and since the city's not letting you paint it on the city streets, which, you know, I, I can't fault the city of Cleveland for saying, uh, if you're going to paint your bus, move it. Um, but <laughs> we just, it started out when, when people just started, you know, uh, just being so gracious and helpful. And we're, as we are wrapping up the, the, build on the bus we've got a family that's hosting us right now and we're converting finishing up the conversion of the bus on their land right now um it's just it's been fantastic the the support in the community uh .net is a website uh, forum uh and they do a great job of giving resources to those considering uh the project we've started developing curriculum to help people that are looking at you know the, potentially doing something like we're doing uh help guide them along through the process it's it's just it's been it's been fantastic to be part of something like this uh you know but yeah the tiny home people um they they embrace us on some level but there are a lot of people really into schoolies right now and that's They have festivals and stuff all over the all over the country uh, for people doing exactly what we're doing. Anything you can think? Of? No, thank you. Yeah, covered it. So, you know, everybody that does this talks about how they adapt to it and all. But bluntly, how the hell do you make this work with six people in that small of a space? How do you manage that? <laughs> Very carefully. Right. Okay. Uh, it was so. I 
drew out a, I knew the dimensions, the rough dimensions of the bus, um, roughly 40 foot in length, six, seven foot six in width and uh, about six foot six in height. So I knew what the interior space was. So I took a piece of grid paper and spent a lot of time, several variations of a floor plan, you know, one square equals one foot, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Very crude and just mapped it out. Um, we lived in a smaller house. The house we sold was 1600 square foot. So it's not like we're used to being that spread out anyway, but um, just a good use of space. I mean, 300 square foot sounds itty bitty, but when you imagine it galley style, the space is extremely usable and you can put two sets of bunk beds in here like we have and our bedroom in the back, which is isolated and uh, everything you just about everything you would have in a, in a standard house we have in our bus. Uh, the bunk beds have a dual purpose as well. The bottom bunks during the day, our couches, you, push yeah. them, mm. you push them in and they're couches. So they turn into more of a living room style space. Right. And then at night they get pulled out and to make a full bed for the older ones. It's kind of futon style. But we, we, had, we have a rule uh, that everything we build and everything that we have has to serve more than one purpose. So we've got a changing room office, and we've got a shower slash emergency dishwashing basin uh, area, and we've got a uh, like a powder room slash toilet area, and we have the futon slash you know bed slash couch, and you know we, everything has multiple roles, and that goes to the things that we put on the bus as well, all the way down to our utensils. Um, if it doesn't serve multiple functions, then it just doesn't. We don't make space for it. You have to learn how to wash dishes because you don't have room for multiple sets. So you have <laughs> one set. six plates <laughs> get washed before the next meal. But they, they, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's horrible, horrible as that may sound to some, uh, there's a lot of gratification in uh, having exactly what you need, a space for everything, everything in its space, no excess. Um, minimalism, I didn't, I didn't, I did it out of need, not out of desire, thinking it was cool. And uh, here I am considering myself a minimalist and enjoying it. I wouldn't have thought that prior to this project. I mean, for, for me, I enjoy how things actually stay cleaner because when oh, you yeah. have, I mean, like, for example, the dishes, you can't let the dishes pile mm. up because you have that many dishes, you know, and you have to wash them before the next meal. So, you know, things like that where mm -hmm. you're forced to stay clean in order to coexist and be able to function, um, that's actually been a, a huge help. Uh, Talk about cleaning, though. There is one thing we've learned uh, kind of scientifically uh, through this process. Just because you decrease the amount of space you have going from 1,600 square foot to 300 square foot, you don't make any less dirt or dust with six people. So everything just gets dirtier faster and dust stacks up faster. It's mostly skin cells and dirt that, you know, that, that dust is and so when you are in a small space uh, a kind of fun tip for somebody looking to uh, do a tiny home or a bunker or a bus you uh, actually clean twice as often and make you know it seems like you're making twice as much because it's confined to a much smaller space as far as dirt and dust is concerned yeah um i mean it's one thing to be able to have all the stuff you need what about just the ability to like to be the hell alone and away from people? Like one of my solaces as a kid was at least I could go to my room and shut the damn door and it was my space. Like that has to be something that is a bit challenging with six people and 300 square feet. It, it is. So 
I guess I guess the answer to that is if you think of the school bus as not your only space. I mean, right now we're doing an interview and it's quiet because all four kids are outside. Having a grand so, time on zip lines and a pond right. and with the dogs. Right. So, I mean, if you want to be by yourself, you t- grab a hammock and you go out to the tree and sit right. in your hammock. You know, you're not going to your room and sh- slam the door. You're finding a place outdoors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can always go to the office on the bus and close that door. You know, there right. is one you know, confined space where I can go to my back bedroom, you know, and, and close that door. So there are some options on the bus, but you have to think of the outdoors as part of your living space. There is an adjustment. We don't want to say that, that there that it, it hasn't been a growing uh, opportunity for us um, because at night, you know, you got two kids per bunk, you know, one on the one on the lower. And it just, fortunately, we've always been close, uh, close family. And, uh, you know, our teenagers aren't normal teenagers. They've always preferred being with the family instead of sequestered to their room anyway. So that helps. I think for the family that's accustomed to uh, a lot of person or a lot of, you know, just personal space and, and being alone, uh, that would make it even more difficult. But we're, we're already close and enjoy being together and our kids get along famously. Uh, we, we're we, came, like that, and we came from a small home to a did. smaller home, you know, so that also made it a little bit easier. It really is setting up screened porches outside and picnic tables and yeah. finding a shade tree and a hammock. And if you're, we, we get, you know, the, it gets a little warm sometimes or we get a little on each other's nerves. It's go, going to take a walk through the woods. I mean, that's, you just have to you have to use the outdoor space, and you can find as much alone time as you want. You know, go down to the pond and skip some stones, whatever you need to do. But it's just rethinking how you um, how you get that free free time and freedom. And I guess there's a lesson from the birds in this that like so. If you told somebody in the middle of July here, we'll just go outside to get some peace and quiet, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they'll <laughs> tell you to go screw, man. They're like, uh-uh, you go. Right, I want to be alone. I want air conditioning. You go because it's a billion degrees out. Like there's hobbits throwing rings in my backyard to get rid of them in the summer, right? But so if right. it's really, really hot, then the bus can go north, and if it's really, really cold, then you guys can go south, and you can right. preserve that ability to use the outdoor space by being mobile. Well, we're exactly. we're feeling like total geniuses for uh, deciding to move into our bus and live in it and finish the conversion. In the, one of the hottest summers on record, we're feeling real smart about that. Yeah, that was, I'm going to say that was probably done. <laughs> it just happened that way, but yeah. yeah you know, I, I'm, I'll tell you this: uh, your your body can adjust to your environment. So I'm a Yankee. Uh, I grew up in Ohio, uh, northern Ohio. At that, um, just very comfortable with cooler environments. And I, if prior to this, I would have told you, yeah, I couldn't do that. I would melt. And then that's true, but it's uh, like the frog in a pot and you turn the water up gradually and you didn't notice it's you now we're, we're going into restaurants and it's freezing. 74, <laughs> 75 degrees. And we're like, Oh man, it's freezing in here. <laughs> and you just acclimate. And, and so it, you know, it's it's 97 here right now. I don't know how hot it is where you're at, but it's like it's 97. There's a nice breeze though. My kids are probably not even breaking a sweat out there on the zip line right now. I can see them through the window. It just it, whereas the host family they have five is it five kids four kids, four kids 
and we haven't seen them yet because they're in the basement <laughs> playing video games. And I, I get it. Like you just you acclimate. Awesome, man. I, I, and I, I can see that, I guess, over time. I mean, there was a time when people lived in these places, and there was right. no air conditioner. I mean, right. right. So there, we become ap- adapted to what we, we have and how comfortable we make ourselves. Um, and what is when, the timeline? Go ahead. I was just going to say, when the bus is done, we, pl- we plan to travel with the weather. You know, we're, one, you know, we're, we're going to be leaving here in a few weeks, ready to, to just begin the journey. And, uh, we, you know, we we're talking about if it's going to be this hot, let's let's go to Maine instead of Florida. You know, we're we're just going to travel with the weather, and you, that that's kind of our strategy. But while we're we're kind of stuck on this uh, this process. piece of dirt, we're we're victimized by whatever the temperature is. Uh, once we're mobile here in the next couple of weeks, we'll get to um, be a little more intelligent about where we uh, where we sleep each night. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be really cool for you guys to be able to do that. I mean, if I was going to go on a mobile lifestyle, that is like the that to, for me that would be the primary driver. The right. fact that like you know I know what the weather is like in northern Wisconsin in June. It's pretty Absolutely. good, right? Or you know like northern northern New Hampshire in July. I mean, come on, it, it's it's paradise. Do you know what it is in February? It sucks. It's cold and there's ice and you're going to die. And, I mean, I don't want to be there. Like, yeah, free stay project. Sure, I'll see you six months out of the year. But, no, I'm not. I, You know, I don't own snowshoes and I never want to buy a pair. Like, I. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that is a really awesome ability that mobile living gives you. To follow the 70-degree temperatures around, yeah. you know. <laughs> I like 48 at night. That's fun. It's sleeping yeah. water, man. But, you know, 40 I mean, below, just, no, and, and like 120. I've had enough of that crap. It makes me want to leave here. <laughs> let's look at Disney World one week when it's cooler. And, hey, how about Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Good. You know, the other yeah. thing you guys can do with your kids, like if you, you said Disney, right? But if you want to go to yeah. Disney, you can go, like, in the words of Homer Simpson, when all the stupid kids are in school. Right, right. Like you can go when there's less people there. <laughs> we we exactly. joke about how we we wait to go to the park after the kids go back to school. Then we right? we you don't do go that. In June and yeah. July. We wait till September. Right, <laughs> right. the park to yourself. But here's the thing: I, you and I, most I, I I don't pretend to to know much about how you were educated and brought up. But I assume I, I was brought brick and mortar. I assume you were too. Yeah. Uh, and I learned. I ended up being a history major in college and got my degree in history because I came to love it. But that shouldn't have happened because I learned history in, in high school through a textbook, and it was boring, man. Mm-hmm. And so we're excited to be able to – I hate to you know, hate to circle back to homeschooling, but uh, I, I am excited. If we get to the Civil War, let's, let's go to Vicksburg or yeah. – Start talking about geography. Let's go to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, you know, yeah. and to be kind of also not just the weather, but plan uh, where we're going to wake up in the morning based on whether where the kids are in their education. That's awesome. No, you're dead on. Like I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I went to uh, conventional. Actually, the high school I went to, we called it the factory on the hill because it was a factory in the in the teens, in the 19 teens. Oh. Um, and actually, there was a, our football stadium was a professional football stadium back then when nobody cared about professional football. Oh, that's cool. And uh, it was a really old, cool building. That's about all I had going for it. <laughs> I mean, it was, and, and so like you know, in eleventh grade, I was taking like AP Biology, but 
having been a 14-year-old with my arms inside a deer in the woods and, yes. and pulling out a scent. I, I knew more about biology, I think, when it came to basic gross biology than that right. class could ever have taught me. And exactly. I learned more on trout streams, mountainsides, et cetera, about the world than school ever taught me. And I, I want to be fair there. It isn't that I didn't learn anything from school, right? right. But I, I, a lot of things they felt like they taught me, I really didn't learn there. A lot of things that I did learn well enough to pass, I didn't really learn because I didn't really care. And I right. have like a stupid, like one of the reasons I can do this job, I have a stupid memory. If I care about something, I, I could sit down and watch something stupid like a Friends episode that I haven't seen in 20 years, <laughs> and I can be any actor you want on that screen. And yet there's still things I learned in high school I don't, I don't know because I didn't hey. care. <laughs> I didn't care. And, and, like, you can't make someone care. So you can make someone parrot crap and pass a test, but you can't make them care, but you can get them to care. And right. when you're talking about the Civil War, and when you said that, I was thinking of one of the battlefields I visited in Tennessee, and behind a glass case they had these bullets that yeah. had been bitten into by people that had withstood amputations, and they explained how they told the guy it would help the pain. What it really did was keep him from screaming. Right. And, like, when you see that, the horror of war is real. Oh, for sure. And, you, and that's just one example of a million things that a child's mind can be shaped with. Um, yeah. I stood, as a kid, like, I did get to take a field trip when we were in school in Florida um, to Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania in eighth grade, And I stood at what they called the high tide line of the south in Gettysburg, and I looked at the graves. Oh, and, yeah. like, those moments, in particular just with the Civil War, because you brought it up, they will never go away. But there's very little I can tell you about what I learned about it in the classroom. Right. Oh, that's that's a dead on. You know, and they're not teaching subjects like um, shop class anymore, home no. ec. No. And you, see, I had that. I had. I took both because there were girls in home ec, and I got to play with tools in the other class. <laughs> Smart know? man. And I got to eat. And they had like I found out they had these little tiny eggs, so we were going to do bacon and eggs. So right. I caught, like my own big ass chicken eggs from the backyard <laughs> in that day. Like I was a rebel, I guess, all the time. But yeah, those were those were useful classes, and they've taken all of that away. Well, so where I was going with that is uh, through this bus build, my kids are installing the electrical outlets <laughs> and doing the staining and the painting and the uh, woodworking. And Sherry's like, you know what? We're counting this a shop class. We're putting this on their transcripts. <laughs> of course you, you know? would. Absolutely. Because they're doing more than just building a table. They're building a house. Oh, yeah. Our Instagram know? page has just got picture after picture of all four of our kids with a drill, a paintbrush, hammer. And it's not staged. They're, we're, we caught them in the action of installing 24 electrical outlets or, you know, yeah. uh, put a ceiling into a sub-ceiling into or, the bus or spraying insulation. We've gotten to the point where Brian can just call a measurement out to our oldest son. He'll go out there and cut the wood for him. Oh, yeah, I he's mean, working. He's working three different pieces. saws, uh, just being my saw man out there, and it's it's glorious. Uh, I, I didn't get that. I, frankly, my, my dad was great. Uh, I had a good childhood. I didn't get that myself growing up. It beats, so the spice, it beats the spice rack and bread box I made in sixth grade. But, <laughs> but what I can say is, at least in sixth grade, we used to use bandsaws and jigsaws and joiners and planers and make, make spice racks and, and bread boxes. 
And these yes. kids don't, they don't know how to work anything anymore. And I'm tired of people attacking the kids. It ain't the kids' fault. The kids nope. are a product of the system. The system has become a garbage-based system, in my opinion. And that's why I've become such a fan of homeschooling. Years ago, I always kind of figured it a little bit odd and figured kids were ill-adjusted and stuff. Parents that homeschooled did not make me a believer in homeschool. Children that were homeschooled did. Yeah. Children oh, that looked me in the eye at nine with a straight back in the eye and shook my hand, and even though their hand was small, they squeezed my hand as strong as they could with a strong handshake. Yeah. They made, like, and I, when I got, I'll tell you when it did it for me. When I got to the point where I'd meet a kid and go, and in five minutes they'd go, you're homeschooled, aren't you? Yeah. Right? And, I, and it was because I was impressed with them. I was like, well, yeah. then we're clearly doing everything wrong in the system. Yes. yes. Uh, it, there's there's so much wisdom in that. We, we get we get that all the time where, where we get, you know, your kids are homeschooled, aren't they? And I'm like, how do you know that? I had one person say, well, I know the homeschoolers because when they come into the waiting rooms, they have books in their hand instead of electronic devices. Right. <laughs> well, oh. they don't have phones. Uh, our 16-year-old literally just, wanders, just turned 16, just got a phone for the first time, and there's a lot of rules that come with it. But none of the others have ever had a phone. They weren't born uh, you know, glued to a device. They were told to go play outside. The way I grew up, uh, you know, I – I was building forts in the woods, you know, and thankfully uh, my kids have not resisted uh, that plan uh, because I'm sure, you know, if, if they were in the public school, there's a lot of keeping yeah. up with the Joneses that happens. And my kids just don't know any better. They're like, yeah. well, that's what kids do. They go play in the woods and then they'll have friends come over from church or whatever. And, uh, it, you know, those kids don't know how to play with my children, they end up learning things like by going outside. They're like, we don't ever play outside. <laughs> yeah. like, What's wrong? Yeah. You know, one think- of the ways parents can deal with that is like, don't give your kids phones. Give them tablets or give them old phones that only work on Wi-Fi. That's right. And, and give them their own sub network and just have it only active during certain times during the day. And we're like, it doesn't work. I'm sorry. I can't help you. Like, that's, that's your internet. That's what you get. And then you got a dead device that doesn't connect to anything. And then, hey, you might want to go play. Right, and I want to put it down because, yeah, because I want them to be able to have access for information for like uh, school and research and stuff. Because my grandson now he comes to me. Well, how does this work? G o o g l e dot. And then I, then I then I turn it on him. I say, so what I need you to do now, since you asked the question without checking first, not only do I want you to go figure it out, you have to come back and answer the question and tell me. Right, and you know, so I don't want. We're to use a tool instead of the tether, I guess, is the way we look right. at that. And I don't, I don't want to. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but you know, we're we're talking about how the school systems failed. Uh, I, I believe that with my whole heart. But there's a the one of the other pieces of the puzzle is really the the parents' responsibility to fill in where the school let lets off. And right now, the the school's not doing a lot of what they used to do, but the parents aren't stepping up either. You know, it's not like the, they're coming home and their dad's building a cool car with them in the garage or they're building model airplanes or, um, the, you know, they're getting sewing lessons from their, from either parent. I mean, I, I don't want to get too gender stereotypical, but those things aren't happening at home. Like they used to technologies, babysitting the children, as opposed to the parents filling in the gaps of, if, the parents knowing that the school's only teaching to a test and they're not getting cursive and they're not getting any of this, these type of things, 
uh, you know, I applaud the parents with kids in public school that are like, you know what, I recognize this is an efficiency and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to fill in the void as opposed to saying, well, I guess it's a skill they don't need to have. You know, so that, that's, it's not, it's parents and schools that are, that have been failing in, in my opinion. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to offend any of your listeners and get too deep into that, but. No, it's, so you could offend my listeners. I do it all the time. It's actually <laughs> part of my marketing to offend people. Like, you know, I mean, really, it, it, when you say that you believe with your whole heart the current system has failed, I defy anybody to effectively challenge that. Because the suicide rates in our children are higher than they ever were. Um, yeah. I had access to what people would consider to be horrific amounts of guns as a teenager now. Yeah. And, no, and, and all of my friends did. I went to school in a place where the, the, the school closed on the first day of deer season. <laughs> because they knew, like, no one would be, like, we just need to close. Because like, they didn't even, like, like, you want to be gender specific or whatever. Most girls didn't hunt. But if you were a girl in rural Pennsylvania and you were over 12, you're, you went to Hunter Safety, you got your card, and you got your license, and you slept in the truck, and when Daddy shot a deer, he put your tag on the deer because that was another deer for the family. That's, That's what exactly. I grew up in, and nobody shot anybody. Nobody took a gun to school. Nobody ever thought about it. So, uh -huh. if, And you can just keep going. The drugs, everything. We had drug problems in school, but like where, where I grew up now, there's heroin everywhere. If you right. were 15, 16, 18 years old in high school and you said something about, hey, let's go get some dope, that meant pot, right? And if somebody right. said, I I'm looking <laughs> to score some heroin, I mean, the, the, the most, like, you know, living in the ditch hooligan in the school would have looked at him like, what is wrong with you? Right. So in Absolutely. every way we measure the so-called important social behavior of our kids, every single component of it has declined Yeah. In the 30 years I've been out of school. And so when you, if anybody wants to say they have not failed, I defy you to find a place where the quality of our children has gone up because of the school system. And right. I think one of the reasons parents are apathetic here is, what am I paying you for? So, right. like, I grew up, I remember my, my dad just ranting about $500 in property taxes. Uh -huh. I mean... This is a nice new three-bedroom home in brand new build in the suburbs. Losing his mind over $500 yeah. a year. And I remember as a kid thinking, this is bullshit, right? I yeah. mean, what? They're taking $500 from my dad from his own house? I knew he had paid yeah. cash for the house. I couldn't even get my head around it. I'm paying right. five grand. Right. So you oh, can, yeah. I, like, I still would take an active role if I had school-age kids today. I, but I can understand the parents that are killing themselves. They're working 50 hours each, and they're giving four or $5,000 a year, mostly in school taxes, and they're thinking, what, what do I pay you for? And the answer is you pay them for a very inferior product because it's a monopoly. That's the answer to your question, but that's why I think parents feel that way, and that's another I, problem you've solved. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think we're... we're We're unlikely homeschool parents. One, I was against it because every every homeschool kid I, I knew growing up was a weirdo, uh, and so I had. I had to be some, fair, 30 years ago they seemed like they were. They were right, yeah. And my wife's got a master's of education. She taught brick and mortar uh, school for what 10 years. Yes. My mother is a teacher or was a teacher. My mother-in-law is a teacher, and all three of them have said, you know, the school systems failed 
we're getting out and Sherry uh, decided, you know, I'm, I'm getting out too. And not only that, I don't want my, my children brought up in this environment either. And so it, it, it's actually unlikely that we would be a family that would embrace homeschooling so passionately because we were, uh, we're, we were the product of the public. We're system. the disposition, uh, disposition to her entire degrees based on teaching, being a professional teacher. And, and, uh, she did it for years and years and years. Uh, and we just, from what they saw, all three of them, it was very eye opening. They retired. My wife said, I'm out and, uh, asked me if I was okay with homeschooling. I had a lot of, uh, preconceived notions I had to get over. Uh, but I said, let's try it. Uh, we could always look at maybe private school, worst case scenario, but the product of, like you said earlier, uh, the results uh, from homeschooling, if done properly, uh, it, they're very apparent to everybody um, that, that which children are homeschooled, which ones are not. And so I've, I've become a believer myself. What? And my mother Go teach ahead. math. My mother, who used to teach high school math for 30 years, she teaches my kids high school math. She Skypes so. them every day and does math them over Skype yeah. uh, since she's such a uh, proficient um, math teacher. But yeah, so we so even we pulled in the grandparents embracing the technology. <laughs> you know, I mean, the one thing that I've noticed about teachers who will ruthlessly defend the education system because of all their paychecks depend on it mm-hmm. is that when you really talk to them and you get them to let the shields down a bit, they all seem to hate their jobs. Right. So it's like you hate your jobs, kids hate going there, parents hate paying the ridiculous taxes to fund it. There's more administrators in schools now than there are in, 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 in teachers. Everything's more expensive. Everything's worse. How do you defend that? And you get a blank I, stare and then anger, right? Shame. You know, because not everybody's where you're. You know, where Sherry was at the point that they hear that. I'm sure there was a point, Sherry, where had someone pointed that out to you. You would have yep. been angry and defended it, but there is yeah. a point where you – I don't know what it is where it causes you to tip over and go, wait a minute, this this is not working. Yeah. Well, I mean, before I had my own kids and before I actually started teaching the public school system, I, I remember telling my sisters, like, I'm never homeschooling. That's not a good choice. <laughs> my kids are going to public school. I went through public school. It was fine. And, you know, I had to eat my words because once I started teaching in the public school system and then I looked at my little girl who was about to go in, I realized this is not going to fit well. Her personality, the way she is, she's going to drown, you know. And so I had to make that that gut choice, you know. And and at the time, I didn't know anyone else that homeschooled. I just knew my daughter. I had to save my own child, you know. So uh, I walked away from, you know, what was comfortable and normal to do something drastically different in my world. And you and were witnessing some yeah. eye-opening things happening from elementary students in the hallways. Right, and that's true, too. And, you know, things that we would, would be quite vulgar to discuss now, but it uh, just appalling. These are elementary school kids that are that are having uh, ideas and, and doing things that you and I wouldn't have even thought about in high school or, or, or tilt high school at least, you know, yeah. and it's, it's crazy how, how early we've sexualized our children. Yeah. Though when I hear the socialization argument, I'm like, what exactly do you expect them to socialize about? Cause right. I can tell you what they're socializing about and you're not going to be happy when you find out. Um, oh, I, I can even think going back to like middle school, junior high, I guess you'd say like eighth grade, like some of the stuff that was going on. And this is in the eighties. 
So I can only imagine now where kids are sexting and Instagram accounts and all this stuff, um, uh, along with alcohol and drugs. Like, I, I, I wouldn't want my kid in public school if there was any alternative if I was a parent today. Uh, if I did, it better be a really small school where it's the one thing we had going for us that kept us in line. No matter where you were in the small town I grew up in Pennsylvania, if you did some stupid shit, like there was a person going, I know who you are, and I'm telling your parents. Yes. Yeah. Like oh, there right. was like, so you're like, what? Like they would like, you're in the woods. Like you're away from everybody. And like you guys open a beer and like, like they, they showed up like Obi Wan. Like, yeah. is that a beer, young Spirico? Where'd you get yeah. that? You know, I mean, where did you come from? And how do you know who I am? And that's like, we don't have that anymore either. We don't. <laughs> it's the village racing the kid is it doesn't happen anymore. I, I just I was thinking uh, while you were speaking that we uh, in the late eighties when in the elementary in elementary school the the kid that was like the evil kid in class was considered uh, to be the 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 bad seed because he told everybody there was no Santa Claus. You know, because he had learned it in early, and he's like, you know, he's going around telling all the second and third graders, "There's no Santa Claus." You know, it, that's we're so far beyond that; it's it's uh, just mind-boggling to me. But awesome. So, can we pull back into the bus a little bit here, man? Like, yeah, I mean, you get me on homeschool, and I'm an evangelist for it. So, but how long does it take? Like, I've seen people building, like, you know, the earth ships and stuff like that, and or even the tiny houses, and it's like. Yeah, so when your kids retire, you'll be done. Um, it seems like you kind of have a really great start point uh, with a school bus. So how long does it take and how hard is it to actually convert a school bus and make it livable? I think it's hard for us to get a real good frame of time just because for a long time he was having to work on it just on the weekends. Because those work the so, full time. Because he was still working 50 hours a week. So he would he couldn't do it in the evenings. It would literally was Saturday, every Saturday and Sunday for from April till just two months ago. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the hard numbers is we bought the bus last April. Uh, and here we are um, on plan like Jay at this point on, on departure time uh, with the departure date of late October uh, in, in just until um, August I was uh, I had an insurance uh, I was an insurance agent and left that uh, to begin 100% commit to what we're doing uh, in August so since then I've been working full-time every day um, 12, 13, 14 hours on the bus and getting so much done. But for the longest, I was a, just a total weekend warrior. And uh, it's taken well over a year uh, with that type of um, structure. And that was April of 2018. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking a year plus. A year and a half yeah. total uh, we'll have in it. Um, no, we didn't buy a medium, I'm sorry, we didn't buy a medium sized bus or even a shorty. We bought the biggest bus available in the U.S., which is... No uh, short bus, then. <laughs> no, 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 this is an 84 passenger. Um, some people squeeze, squeeze 90 seats into them, um, but it's the same maximum length of 40 foot, uh, which are the larger school buses you see on the road. And so it's, it is 300 square foot. We need every inch of that for six people, but 
uh, and we didn't we didn't spare anything, not not so expensive, but we, we didn't go without. Some people will literally gut the inside and stick furniture inside of it. We are building a home within a metal shell. So he's custom building all the furniture and cabinets from yeah. scratch, with the exception of the bottom kitchen cabinets, their stock, everything else he's bought. He's By, just built from right. wood that he's gotten from Lowe's or... You know. And there's no off-the-shelf solution to anything. Like, uh, just for example, uh, the roof fence, which we're going to put fans in, the roof fence are 24-inch by 24-inch. All RV fans are 14-inch by 14-inch, so I'm going to have to steel plate weld over top of the hole, cut a 14-inch hole out. There's just no off-the-shelf solution for anything when it comes to a school bus. If you're going to buy a Winnebago and convert it, that's a different story. You go buy Winnebago parts or whatnot, and, and then there are some, there are some off-the-shelf solutions, but everything is one-off. I had to relearn how to sew because you can't buy curtains the size of school bus windows, uh -huh. so we had to... I had to go to my mom's house and have her reteach me how to use a sewing machine so I could start making curtains. <laughs> right, right. So it, it, a lot of things are weird on on a school bus as well. Uh, you know, just but we get to build exactly the way we want, um, which is which is glorious. And when you when you write on a piece of grid paper a blueprint, and and then a few months later you can physically walk through that plan that you only had in your head once upon a time and you know, physically interact with that, with that idea, um, as the walls start taking shape and whatnot, there's, there's, I've never done anything as gratifying in the, in the sense of something I've built with my hands. I, I, I'm building a, uh, a building home a that, that could last, you know, my lifetime. When we get back from this, we plan on Airbnb, uh, which, uh, it can be a tremendous source of income. Um, according to others, we know that have done the exact same thing. So hopefully the bus lasts a long, long time. Well, and the skill set is uh, remarkably adaptable. So one of the things I've said about the whole tiny house thing with people living in like these, you know, 150 square foot, 200 square foot houses, like, I no, no. But like you've got a, a teenager who's getting to an age where he might want to step out on his own at some point. And having that skill set and being able to say, well, maybe I am going to, like, maybe I don't want to travel. Maybe I want to live in this place. Uh, so I'm going to go here, and I am going to build myself a 250-square-foot tiny house with an understanding that that's not all I ever want for the rest of my life. So I will build it with the specific design for modularity so when I want another room, when I want another section, I can just add on. Because adding on to a house, anybody's ever done it, is a nightmare And it, you can always go, oh, there's the addition. But that's because they're not built with the intent of having additions. Right. So you get an 18-year-old kid that wants to start out in life that can mm -hmm. buy a, an inexpensive piece of land and at least build, I got a kitchen, I got a bedroom, I got a living room, that's my bachelor right. pad. That kid can go his whole life debt-free and right. make that house as big as he wants mm -hmm. because he has that skill set. And, like... We should be, like, that should be a course. If we're going to have public school and I'm going to pay five grand a year for somebody's kid to go to school because my kids are done, right, then that should be a course in high school, at least an elective, how to build your own house. Then at least we get something out of it. I, I don't know about you, but I, I was not mature enough to go uh, to college right after high school. I just, I wasn't. I, I joined out. the Army. I totally wasn't. I knew I needed discipline. <laughs> Imagine, imagine if you know, the army is a great choice, but imagine somebody like myself who went straight to college and, and just partied the whole time and filled yeah. out. Uh, if I had taken a year, taken one of these uh, high top vans, 
convert it into a you know even smaller just van lifestyle uh you know tiny home and saw the saw the country for a year or two got kind of some of that um wild streak yeah the wanderlust and the wild streak just kind of fed my gypsy soul a little bit i'd have been much more suited if it was still my uh you know it, it if i still felt like college was the way to go and and that could have very easily you know just been written off but uh, if I was still thinking, okay, college is for me, I would have been a different human uh, going through my four years of school um, post a big life-changing trip like that as opposed to just going straight out of high school saying, man, I'm loving this freedom right now. I, d- I don't think uh, class is for me. I'm just going <laughs> to sleep all day and party all night and let my parents pay for my education until they see my grades for the first time. <laughs> You know, that wouldn't have happened the same way if I had one of the had like a travel year or a gap year or something, you know. Sure. So on expense, you mentioned money there and I've mentioned money a few times. What does it cost to do this? You know, and how does that compare? I think you've already covered why you went with a bus over an RV. But um, how does the cost compare uh, to an RV of a similar size? I think it really depends on what the person. Um, the cool thing about the school bus, uh, I mean, if you get a massive RV, you're looking for a brand new one. I mean, you could spend it upwards of two hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, a school bus, you could purchase. We bought ours for thirty-five hundred dollars. You can buy them running for five hundred dollars. And you can literally put in money as you go. As you go. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have much up front. And so you can put in, maybe you just want, maybe you're the person that's just going to put the furniture in the bus and maybe you finish it out for yeah. 10 grand. Maybe you're like us and you know, you put in, I don't know, maybe we put in 40. We put it. Yeah. We, we sold our home and used the proceeds from it. So I, I think when we're done, we'll have about 50 in ours. There are people putting, you know, 80, 90 in theirs. I think that's egregious, but to each his own. Uh, there are people that are doing it for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar budget, and you, you're gonna if you're doing all the work yourself and you're upcycling and you're very, very um, we were we pushed for time, so a lot of times we just go buy new lumber. Uh, but there are people that are out there getting just steals of a lifetime on some reclaimed barn wood and just you know. Well, you're going to a junkyard and taking pieces out of old campers and old RVs. And repurposing and... old uh, food barrels, you know, to make them their water tanks. I mean, there are some people that have been, I've just looked at the, the things they've upcycled and just been floored at how cheaply they're getting their bus done. Uh, it just depends on who you are and your timeline and, and what your budget is. It really does. But the difference is you're, you're not in debt over this no. because you are spending the money you have to continue to upgrade your bus, essentially. A pro tip, uh, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. <clears throat> this project got a lot easier for Sherry and I when we stopped thinking about this as a replacement home because in the beginning, uh, we've got a video. When we moved in in March, uh, we put a video on YouTube showing how crude the bus was. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to survive that. or We wouldn't have been able to get this far if we were thinking, well, this has got to be a home replacement for the home we sold, we had to train ourselves to think of it as a just a metal tent. Uh, it, that, that allowed us to think that anything we did to the inside of this bus as an improvement 
was an improvement on the tent concept, uh, and now it's a now it's the home a replacement home all day long. When we moved in, there was no running water, there was no heat, there was no uh, working electricity other than extension cords, there was no functioning bathroom, there was no functioning shower. Like it was like days away from being done, but the first few nights it was in the teens, and we had a handful of space heaters. Instead of our big 35,000 BTU furnace that we have now, it, it just, but we were just dead set. This is a metal tent. We, lo- we like, like the tent camp anyway. It's going to be really rough in it for a while. And every single thing we do to it is improving the tent. And now, now it's a home. Uh, but we, we had to train ourselves to think differently in the beginning. And how are the kids really doing? Because I know you said they adapt and all. What do they really think of this? Like, are they all in now? Are some of them that are older thinking, yeah, this is cool, but I'm going to like go do something with my own life here really, really soon, and it's probably not going to involve a bus. I mean, what, what does the future look like here? I think, I mean, they're all excited about the traveling. I think our oldest one, especially our oldest, who's 16, she's looking at it. This is going to be a really cool, almost like an early gap year for her. Yeah. And, and she sees herself as, you know, when she's not in college, you know, traveling with us, you know, vacations, um, you know, summers. I don't think she sees herself as someone that's going to get her own school bus, no. you know, as an adult. But this, she sees it as a really cool experience, a really good way for her to be able to figure out what she wants to do with her life, you know, be able to see the country, maybe decide where she wants to live as an adult. Um, but she's excited to come back in a year, year and a half and go to college. Right. That's that's what she wants for herself. Whereas I wouldn't be surprised, especially our youngest son, if he just this was just the new way of things. Because he's for him. the he's the entrepreneur. Our right. youngest son. He's this. I could see him embracing a, a nomadic type of life. You know, he's very much into um, having his own business and and that sort of thing. Well, and, so. and the bus is just stage one of our plan. I mean, he could it did any of our any of our grand plan could could appeal to any of our kids you know uh, we're, we're kind of excited to see how they uh, embrace it but we've got lofty ideas that we'll travel in the bus for a year bring it back to some land airbnb and then maybe go build a canal boat in the uk and see the uk via the canals same type of floor plan or a catamaran to the intercoastal waterway or there's a very small movement right now that's just starting to grow where they're converting tra- train cars and booking passage on you know like uh you know, train systems to have their little train car tugged across the country. Uh, there's there's a movement for for uh, cargo uh, units, uh, having them converted into um, into tiny homes, and and we've thought very strongly that this may be just the first thing we convert and replicate this formula over and over and over again. Yeah, so, I mean, you guys don't plan on doing this for the rest of your life. You have this is a piece of what you're doing, an adventure. The bus is a year, year and a half, and then we we could decide to put up roots again, uh, or we could really fall in love with it and fall just keep, in love with it keep, and just keep it. replicating the formula in a different format to keep our social media interest going. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, what do your friends and family think about this? Do they think you've all lost your minds? I think it depends on who you talk Some. to. I mean, <laughs> who you talk to. Usually when you, when you talk to a couple, 
um, you'll have one spouse that's like, oh, this is amazing, can't wait, I would love to do this, and the other one's shaking their head going, don't even think about it. Don't think about it, we're not doing that, you know, walk away. Yeah, it's weird to find, uh, when we meet another couple, it's weird to find one where they're both like, we have to do this, this is awesome, or kudos, that, that's fantastic. It's usually both are thinking this is, I, I can never, or or there's one gypsy in the relationship and the other one's much more um, straight-laced and, and, and traditional, and traditional <laughs> you know. Uh, but it, it's, to, to answer your question directly, uh, our, our parents have both been very supportive. Um, my parents are hoping we don't stay gone too long. Uh, they, they moved from Virginia here to be closer to the grandkids, and now we're uprooting them. So they would like for us to come back sooner rather than later, but they've been very supportive. Uh, but we have plenty of friends that are like, you guys are insane. And we're like, well, to each his own. But, uh. <laughs> you know, I find a lot of times with um, these types of lifestyle changes, people it's very much like buying a restaurant. So if I tell my friends I'm going to buy a restaurant, I'll get like a million reasons not to buy a restaurant, how stupid it is, how I'll never make any money, I'm going to go broke. I don't know anything about restaurants, how risky it is, how I have a great job, how my career is going places and I should stick to it, and why would you leave a career in communications design to go open a restaurant and deal with the crap. But if I've opened a restaurant, oh, that's great, and then they come down and they have, you know what I mean? Like So once you're committed, I think you get a lot less resistance from people than you do when you're talking about the thing you're going to do. It's like once you've done it. Now, I do think with your couples you're talking about, I bet the person that's skeptical, it's not so much. They would probably think it was a fine idea if the other partner wasn't sitting there like a dog at a window looking at a bone. Like, like, uh, okay, no, 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 no. uh, Yeah, it's cool, but not for us. You know, and shockingly, you, you wouldn't think that it's this way, but there are also the insecure people that you meet that feel offended. Uh, just like we're talking about homeschooling, somebody will hear this and they'll be like, what's wrong with the public school system? Public school system is perfectly fine because that's what we've bought into. Well, we're seeing that even with us trying to redefine our American dream, there are the people that are like, well, what's wrong with the two adults working, you know, two jobs each to pay a mortgage? And, you know, what's wrong with the traditional form of the American dream? It's like we're trying to we're the square peg now. And it, they almost feel like it's an affront to to the American dream that they bought into as and most that most have. You know, they almost feel offended uh, by it. And, and that's less common, but it, it still surprises me every time I see somebody that almost seems offended by our willingness to reinvent uh, what's traditionally accepted. You know, it doesn't surprise me in the least bit because people either can or cannot accept that what they've chosen is suboptimum in some way. Right. So the reason that they're that way is there's people that the way they feel is if I acknowledge that this is a good decision, then I am by proxy saying that my decision is a bad one. And since I don't want to have to explain how hard it is and how I can't do it and whatever, I'm just going to attack the thing that threatens me because it shows that maybe my way is not the best. some people you know it can't be well this is better for you but this is better for me the duality escapes them it's yep. more singular that has to be this is best for all 
um, or, you know, and what you're doing is, is, you know, contrary to almost like social mores, uh, you know, this is, this is counter to everything I, I believe in and therefore an affront to, to traditionalism, you know, they almost get offended by it uh, quite honestly. So which it's, it, I don't, like you said, I'm not surprised either, uh, but it happens. Yeah, and it, it does. And I, I think that the position of, well, that's actually a great thing, and I wish I could, but I can't, and this is better for me and my family, totally reasonable right. position. Totally right. reasonable position. Right? We're being yeah. unreasonable if we say that's not reasonable. But, right. yeah, a lot of people just feel attacked that you, that you would actually feel so strongly that the public school system sucks and take yeah. your kids out of it. But I bet yeah. you that same person put two beers in them and yeah. get them talking about the school and they fail. they yeah. will just rip it apart. It's kind of like having that kid on the football team that barely made it, but he didn't really try that hard. He just barely made it, and he like you pick on him in the team, but like let anybody not on the team pick on him, and it's like hey hey hey, hey. no 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 you don't get to do that. I think that's kind of how it is. Like they know the school sucks, but and they can <laughs> all talk about how it sucks. But now you actually school. do something instead <laughs> of say something, now it's a problem. <laughs> right. That is so true. That's why I've always been very, very careful. When people ask me all the time why I homeschool, and I always say, well, it's just what is the best fit for my children and our family. Right. And that's the safe answer. Try and be diplomatic. Because if you say much more than that, you open up a whole can of worms, and people mm -hmm. will start really defending why they're doing what they're doing. I'm like, it really doesn't matter to me. I. It's my role to raise my children, and, you know, you get to raise yours. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, yeah. And then you get 20 of your friends all of a sudden uh, getting so irritated. They're saying things like, well, you know, it's homeschooling parents that are screwing up the school system because there's no standards, and, you know, well, you know they, they just start with rabbit trails. outlandish, uh, you know, prejudice against yeah. uh, homeschool, but, it, it, you know, We keep circling back to this. Don't we? It's a big topic. We're passionate about it, and but it's well, any, it's at the core time, of what we're doing. Well, I think anytime you do anything that's not traditional, you have raised eyebrows right. and you have people that get defensive um, that are choosing the traditional route. If right. I have to sum it up, if I have to sum it up, I think people feel this way: parents should be able to raise their children any way they choose, as long as it's the way that I say they should. Right, as you long know, as it's the way I'm doing it. Yeah. Right. As long as it's the way I'm doing it, it's okay. But they should be able to do it however they choose. They should have yeah. a complete say in their children's life as long as they do what they're supposed to do. And right? like, yeah, uh, okay. And then, you know, the results speak for themselves on homeschooling. Like, homeschools are killing it in scholarships. They're killing it in sciences. They're killing it, like, just everywhere. And the real reason that the school system feels threatened by it is they know yep. it's better. And they're losing funding yeah, over it, Yeah, your child is now a dollar sign. If yep. they're not in that desk, dollars don't come to the school, which is actually a stupid argument, like it's common core math argument, because if I take a million kids out of a school system, you still have the same amount of money and less kids to educate. You should actually have more money per student, but they don't see it that way probably because you know they all know common core math now and they can't actually work that out. All they see is... <laughs> This hundred students is not at my school, so now right. the money's going to the other school, you know. And then, they're, then they're always like, "Well, see, it's the worst schools that people pull their kids out of." Yeah. Yes, yes, they do. Well, that yeah. makes them worse. Well, yes, 
Yes, it does. So that more people pull them out. Yes, you're. Keep going. You're starting right. to understand this. Maybe right. you should close those schools as there's less pressure on population and move the remaining students into the schools that don't completely suck. Yeah, but the student-teacher ratio is... In, is it's getting in, worse. And so when you, the more students that are, are coming out of the system, instead of saying, okay, well, great, we, we, we're going to see this as a positive, we're going to keep the same number of teachers... We just now have less students, so the teacher-student uh, ratio is improved. The, you know, the test score should go up. They don't do that. They start letting teachers go to compensate because they want to maintain that, that really bizarre off-student-teacher ratio uh, because that's what's profitable for them. It's not like they're seeing the negative and trying to flip it into a positive. They're just letting the teachers go uh, you know, to get back to that really outlandish student-teacher ratio they had before. I think one of the coolest things about this school bus project for our kids in terms of, you know, as we're talking about homeschooling, is the fact that they are getting to learn firsthand how to problem solve. And that skill alone will take them far in life because right. every, everything Brian has built it seems like nothing has gone well the first time. No. I mean, he's, it's like a science experiment. You know, he's had to try things, you know, five different ways before he finally finds the one thing that works. Mm -hmm. And to be able to teach your child that, you know, it is okay to fail as long as you get back up and you try again. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, failure is only failure if you don't get back up. You know, it's, it's called problem solving. You, you don't give up. You keep going. You try different ways to do things. And eventually, you figure it out. Um, I mean, that's how inventors come up with awesome inventions. They don't typically come up with their invention <clears throat> in you know, phase one. You know, it's usually their you know, 100th try at, at coming up with a product that actually works. So, I mean, if they can, if, if that's the only thing they take away from this, I mean, it should take them far away. Out of the box thinking. We're, there's, a, there's kind of set standards on the way most people are building their bus, and we've defied those standards many, many times and did some really out of the box uh, things that have been fantastic, and I would do them again. Uh, you know, so just. Kind of uh, out of the box thinking is another another gift that we're giving them. Absolutely. Right. Well, to I mean, ask you know, people always talk about their future, their kids' future, their future, their careers, whatever. So, what good paying? So, not you know, not twelve dollars an hour flipping a burger. What good paying job has the following job description? Someone will always ask you to do something that always has one answer, and they will tell you you're right when you do it right. Mm -hmm. Give me one actual career worth pursuing that will fund a wonderful lifestyle or business you can start that fits that description, go. Right. It doesn't happen. It doesn't yeah. exist. It doesn't exist. So that's where educating kids with that mentality and saying we're preparing them for a career where is literally no th nothing you'd actually call a career, even managing a fast food restaurant does not fit that equation. Right. right. Even managing the burger flippers, that's beneath the ability of a burger manager. Right. So, but, like, there's literally no jobs that fit the template that the education is built for today. The education's built for 1876, this cog goes here, this sprocket goes there, it goes down the line, this cog goes here, this sprocket goes there, down the line. That's what the education's built for. I, I worked for a car rental company before I was an insurance agent and had to manage most of my staff was millennials. Uh, and I'm not here to 
bash an entire generation just to say that the participation trophy mentality is a real thing. Uh, it, the hardest, hardest uh, concept for, for them to, when I was managing, imagine I'm managing 30, 30 40 of them at a time, uh, they're just, they, they need a lot of um, edification, a lot of, you know, good job, you know, uh, you, that, that's, that's awesome. They, they want to, they, they need they need that positive feedback about every little thing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, I'm, but what I am saying is they're not likely going to get it. So as a manager, I had one one employee particular in particular that at a reviews, every time I would tell her that she needed to learn how to self-edify and, you know, self-gratification, you know, like figure out how to, how to, how to kind of pat herself on the back. Cause like I said, you know, I would tell her that right now, I try my best as a Gen Xer to to feed into you and tell you, hey, you're you know that organizing that bookshelf, you did a great job, you know. But the higher you go, the it becomes your your reward. You know, you're doing a good job when you're not getting fussed at. And so, if you can't learn at this level, that um, you know to to kind of pat yourself on the back, it's only going to get worse for you. And trying to teach that to somebody who was never who always had a participation trophy or a ribbon, it just, it escaped them. And that was probably uh, the biggest difficulty in, in managing a gen- that generation when I, in that, in that job was, was having those type of conversations and, and helping them understand the, what, you know, things that other generations understood, you know, yeah. already. Or have the ability to pick yourself back up after a failure of some sort, trying to solve a problem, yeah, and keep going. So people always ask this. You're like you said, you're rogue schooling. So can you kind of just, as we wrap up here, talk about exactly? I know you said like if you're going to talk about the Civil War, go someplace where there's stuff about the Civil War. Crazy, right? But how yeah. do you manage the program for your kids? Do they self-manage it? Do you give them any guidance? Do you hold them to any standards, or is it a full unschooling? How do you how do you manage the education for these four kids? You know, we've we've tried the online schooling before. It wasn't a great fit for our kids. Um, once again, it a lot of the on online schools there's um, the time the time constraint. There's less flexibility, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. So uh, we. We do a very traditional homeschooling where, um, you know, I because I'm a teacher, because I'm a former teacher, I've pulled resources from all different you know areas where I have taught. Um, and the older ones, you know, typically have their things that they do on their own. I come back behind and, and check over it. Um, the younger ones, I spend there at this point, they can read pretty well, and I. I can give them some things to do by themselves, and then the other half of it, I sit down with them and, and you know, we work through um, subject matter together. But um, but I mean, as we're traveling, you mm-hmm. know, some of those science and history lessons, instead of literally sitting down and reading the book, you know, we're going to be out there experiencing a national park or experiencing a battlefield and. And their lesson won't be sitting down and reading a book right. and answering questions. It's going to be talking to the, the forest ranger or the park ranger and yeah. watching the you know, watching the video in the museum or uh, that sort of thing. It's going to be a lot more hands-on. She's um, one thing that we've done to save money is we've got a really uh, really great book a used bookstore chain here 
uh, in this geographic area, and she will go in and spend hours looking through curriculum. We don't use any one curriculum. It's piecemeal together by things she liked uh, that we found at this very nice used bookstore uh, that has worked great. And if she has success with an older child, then, then that curriculum passes on to the a younger child. Uh, if, if not, then it gets weeded out and substituted with something else. But that leads me to another thing that's a beautiful thing to, to witness is when you have two older children that are working, uh, on, who have already mastered skills to watch them and, you know, teach the younger ones helping take some of that load off Sherry is awesome to see them. And that's reinforcement. They're not just learning it firsthand then teaching it solidifies that in their mind. You know, when they're helping their younger siblings master a skill that they've already got, it's just solidification for, for them, uh, you know, for that skill set. It's, it's very awesome to see them being so close and them working so closely together and, and just really, really doing so well with their education. It's, it's military-style um, education, honestly. See it, do it, teach it. Right? Yeah. That's how you learn in the military. That's how you develop leadership skills in somebody before they have a leadership. Because you don't, like, become a sergeant and now you're a leader. You're built right. into a leader and then you become a sergeant. Right? That's how that works. And so that means the, the leadership has to be built every day all along the way. And, yeah, first you learn to follow, but immediately then you learn to lead. See, yeah. do, teach. And there is nothing that, and I can say this after, basically I consider myself an educator for 11 years now. Yeah. Nothing teaches you more than teaching. Right. If no, you're absolutely. teaching, if you're if you're standing up saying the same words for ten years in a row and it's the same like I mean, I think back to my school and like one of the ways that we did really me and this buddy of mine named Mark did really, really well in a lot of classes. His sister had like all the same teachers we did in most of our core classes. We yeah. had and she was like eight years older than him, nothing changed. Yeah, we had all the notes. We had all of the tests. We had every like we just. Oh, I'm not paying attention. I, there's the test. Like when we got the first test and it was the same. We're like oh shit, I'm not doing nothing. Yeah, because <laughs> all I did was memorize the test. Like yeah, so, that's not teaching. What, what you guys are talking about? That's teaching, learning, yeah. and immediately transferring the skill to somebody else. You, you can't get that in an institution because it can't be done. It was done in the little. Schoolhouses, right? Because yep. like, if you look at like like Little House of the Prairie has a lot of realism to it, and like the twelfth graders sitting in the front row and the eleventh graders in the second, and all the way back, and then the uh -huh. kids learning and then turn around and teach the row behind you what you just learned. Yeah, that's that is that thing, but you can't do it with you know. My kid went to a school. His high school had six hundred and eighty students in the graduating class. Yeah, my right? trade school. You can't do that there. That's the other, a college. The other cool thing about them being together, on the flip side, um, my 14-year-old, when they were little, um, while I was teaching Abigail how to read, I joked that I didn't really teach Gavin how to read because he just, he always liked being near me, and which meant that he listened in all the reading lessons that I did with Abigail. So by the time I got to him to teach him how to read, he pretty much already knew how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> So just by being in the same vicinity, you know, the younger ones sometimes pick up skills just by 
listening in on lessons that the older ones are getting. They each have their their um, strong suit. So you know, whereas my daughter may read and write at a collegiate level, uh, my son that's just about ready to go into high school is doing math. You know, at, at a high high level <laughs> high school uh, type of grade. And they all have that thing that they, they are really strong at, and they can kind of go as fast through it as, they, as they're able. And then they all have that, that weak area, too, where we can work a little extra in that area to make sure they stay at least on course uh, and don't fall behind. And, and you don't get that one-on-one attention uh, through through other means, uh, through, like, a, a public school type of thing. You have to pay for tutoring. Yeah, well, that's that's true. Um, so it's it's been great for us. Uh, it's been awesome to see them uh, teach their younger ones. It's teaching them leadership, just like you said. Um, and the other thing that we tried to adapt is when they went in the younger grades, it's they don't they don't really get grades in our structure. Um, but as they get toward high school, it's important that they're submitting papers and they're um, they're getting grades and they're they're getting docked for things they did wrong and they're getting that constructive criticism from a teacher, whether it be their grandmother teaching them math or Sherry or some online platform where you submit your work and it gets graded and sent back. Uh, that constructive criticism was important for us, uh, for them to face that as well. You don't want them to go off to college having never actually gotten grades, grades, knowing that they're ahead of the curve, but them having that to adapt to somebody criticizing their work all of a sudden. Does that make sense? So we, we, as they get into high school, we've really um, wanted them to get the experience with constructive criticism and uh and dealing with grades and worrying about grade point averages. So when they come work for somebody like me, they don't end up on the floor rocking back and forth with their hands in their face crying like has actually happened to people that have worked for me. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> what did I do? I just said it wasn't that good. I told you to redo it. I have literally had like 20-something-year-old kids cry Yeah. that worked for me and when I was in my 30s. Not me yeah. now. My, me, me, I, it's a good thing I'm self-employed now. I, I wouldn't have people <laughs> jumping out of buildings at this point in my life. Yeah, so it's, it's good you're teaching that. How can people learn more about what you're doing, follow along, hook up with you on social media, learn from you guys, et cetera? Oh, awesome. Thanks for, for that. So um, serenitybusproject.com is our website. The third tab on that website has all of the links to any social media you can think of, uh, YouTube channel, Instagram uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, all of them are linked there. Uh, we have all of those things, but our blog is on the first page and we're, uh, getting ready to launch a new website as well. That there'll be a lot of people to keep up with our journey and vote on where we go next. Um, we also are working on a uh, curriculum for people who are inspired and thinking, you know what? School bus uh, could really be something we're interested in. It can cost you a lot of money to buy the wrong one, so we also are developing several pieces of curriculum that will be available here very soon um, for anybody who's looking to take that next step and doing something like we're doing as well. Awesome, awesome. Guys, well, I appreciate you all being with us today, and uh, get back to your adventure now that you've uh, spent over an hour with us. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We've enjoyed it very, very much. Um, at some point, I'd like to talk to you about, uh, I've got a guy that's building a bunker out of 12 immobile uh, school buses in Utah. 
now, and it's amazing what he's doing with those things. You can buy them so cheap, but it's uh, I, I encourage anybody. There's a thousand awesome things you can do with school buses. Uh, you can think outside the box. And, and use them now before the schools go bankrupt, and then there won't be any more. Right? This is a this is a short time window to acquire these great big diesel vehicles while they're still available. Because yeah. I I do predict a major shift in education in the next twenty years. And there's um, no, there's no code. You build a house and and you get ten people telling you exactly <laughs> how to do it. Yeah. You build a school bus and any idea that works, it works. There's nobody over your shoulder it's saying. A bus. Exactly. I have you a just, license. Go away. I have a license insurance. Get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're camping. No, I'm parked. Get out of here. Right? I, for, some, <laughs> you know, for someone like me who doesn't like rules or people telling them what to do, the school bus is the way to build a house. <laughs> I'm going to have to build a great big red one with a giant black A on the side, man. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you guys being uh, – well, I would build a yellow and black one. Why did I say red? <laughs> Uh, a yellow and black one with a big V on it, maybe. Anyway, guys, I appreciate y'all being with us today. You have a good one, buddy. Take care. All right, told you guys that was a good interview. That was one of the better interviews we've had for quite a long time. I put up there that with the interview, uh, the quality of uh, the interview a couple weeks ago with Ken Berry. Uh, I have good guests and I have great guests. I would say that was a, an example of a great guest. I do hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, again, you can always consider supporting this show a couple different ways. One, do your online shopping at tspaz.com, where you can find all the things I've reviewed on Amazon. I don't have an item of the day for you guys today. Uh, I had a lot going on, so I didn't uh, do up an item of the day for you today. But, you know, the things that I have bought and used in my home for the last decade are on tspaz. And you can buy those things, or you can buy anything. As long as you start your online shopping there, you help support us in the work that we do. And the other way is join the Member Support Brigade, where you get discounts on so many things the membership pays for itself. With that, let's talk about our song of the day today. Um... We are in the middle of John Cougar or John Mellencamp or John Call Me Mellencamp Not Cougar or John Mellencamp Cougar or John Cougar Mellencamp Week, whoever. I call him John Cougar. And I call him John Cougar because in the 1980s um, he released an album called American Fool. And it's probably my favorite overall album by John Cougar. And that's what he said to call him then, so he gets to have me call him that for the rest of his life. And if he wants to bitch about it, I don't care. Right? Not that I think he would care. Uh, but today is the day I've, I've been threatening to call an audible and pick my own John Cougar song. Um, and I'm going to choose to do that today. And I'm going to choose to do that today because there is some real political undertones in the, the song that John Adam had picked for us today. And I just don't feel like politics today. I just don't. Um, I would say that this song is a song with no huge message no politics and it is in my opinion when it comes to just the sound of a song the overall quality of just the music itself for enjoying the song probably the most underrated song john cougar ever released and probably off his best known album and yet an incredibly underrated song and it's called thundering hearts this is a song that makes you want to put the top down on a convertible not bend but break speed limits and find a road with some turns in it or get on a motorcycle or something like that. This, you know, John is from the Midwest, and this is kind of like Midwest driving music. I remember when a friend of mine and I did something really stupid. I won't get into the details, but we drove from Pennsylvania all the way out to Wisconsin and back. And I remember playing this song, driving in the types of fields that are just emblematic of John Cougar's early music, and it was a hell of an experience. And this is a this is a song that's still today. Um, 
that if I'm driving somewhere in kind of a sporty vehicle or something, I got to watch the foot. And I love music like that. Again, it's not a great you know, piece of artistry from a standpoint of the lyrics or a message or anything like that. It's just a kick-ass rockin' song. And if it's something you haven't heard in a long time, you might be like, yeah, that really is a good sound of song. This is a song to be driving around in an old car with a tape deck instead of digital music and cranking it up. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Let me stay forever in your mind.